I always told myself I could never be a runner. When I was a kid, a lot of people told me that I was shy, and after a while, I really started to believe it. I kind of thought that I couldn't interact in social situations. I was told that I could never move up in the organization into a leadership role because I really wasn't cut out to be a leader. Growing up, my parents told me repeatedly that going to college wasn't what our family does. Everyone listening can relate to these limiting beliefs. We all have them. Now, the tough thing here is when we're operating with these strong limiting beliefs of what we can't learn, can't do, it's really hard to get better. And that's not magic. It's if I don't believe I can grow, I'm probably not going to practice the thing. So the antidote is to build what they call a growth mindset. Which is just the belief that we can grow. Absolutely. And that's a hot topic right now. I think a lot of people teach growth mindset by showing people why it matters and presenting the research. And then they essentially just tell others to have one. Today, I want to do better than that. I want to go one layer deeper. And instead of telling people to believe they can grow, we're going to present the research and evidence that shows them that they can. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. Welcome to the Learner Lab podcast presented by trainugly.com. Each week, something new that can help us learn. Let's go. One of the most important topics that we can understand if we want to become great learners is this topic of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity kind of sounds like a big word, right? But Lots of syllables, but yeah, <laughs> huge. But the name kind of describes what it is. So neuro brain plasticity plastic can change, right? Right. So basically neuroplasticity, our brain can change. It's the study of our brain's capacity to change. Right. And the real message is, is that the brain is designed to change. It turns out that plasticity in the brain is its big trick. It's the main thing that, that makes it so fabulous. That's Michael Merzenich, a neuroscientist who specializes in neuroplasticity. In fact, many people refer to him as like the father of neuroplasticity. <laughs> He's on the Mount Rushmore of neuroplasticity. <laughs> the way we think about brains and their capacity to change has gone through sort of a revolution. Mm -hmm. For decades, the thinking was you're sort of born with a brain and it has these pre-wired in skills and that's what you got and mm -hmm. it doesn't ever change. You've got what you got, you right. can't change it. I began to realize that the dominant view of the brain and its capacity to change itself beyond early childhood was wrong. And we did experiments, other scientists had also done experiments earlier and in parallel, that showed that the brain in fact was massively plastic in old, at an older age. At any age, on any ability, and I could improve it. And not just improve the ability, improve the machinery of the brain that supports the ability. Stop the record and rewind that. At any age, on any ability, and I could improve it. And not just improve the ability, improve the machinery of the brain that supports the ability. I think the, the most important angle here and most useful for learners, leaders and learners, is understanding sort of how our brains change. To simplify, our brain is like a series of circuits and pathways. Any action we take fires a pathway. And the idea is if we fire a pathway enough times, our brain's designed to like reinforce that circuit and we become better at it. Right. So the neuroscientists say what fires together 
wires together. Right. This right. is sort of describing how practice builds a skill. Mm-hmm. And we've all we've all heard that phrase before. What fires together wires together. But you can also kind of think about this as an actual trail. So if we were out in a field somewhere mm-hmm. and you walk from point A to point B, you know, 50 feet in front of you, you're going to make a path. And then if you walked back and forth on that 50 times, it becomes more of a path. Yeah, the more you walk that path, it sort of gets like the more set it down. becomes. Yeah, exactly. And so it's easier to use that path each time. That's sort of what's happening in our brain. Mm-hmm. So then, if you went and you tried to do a new, if you went from point A to point C now, you're going to have to build a new pathway, and it's going to be more difficult because there's no trail there. Exactly. And in the same token, if we if we quit walking along that path, it starts could, to kind of grow back. Yeah, it grows. It gets it's overgrown. Still there. Yeah, and yeah. it's easier to come back and repave that path in a way. Yeah. The the big idea is. When we fire a pathway enough, the, the brain reinforces the circuit. Right. Practice changes the brain. Neuroplasticity. It's changing with practice. Perhaps one of the most famous studies here uh, came from London, and they did this back in the day before we had smartphones and GPS to show us how to drive around. They mm-hmm. did this with a group of people who was training to become London cab drivers. So they took this group of people, they scanned their brains, they looked at a region of their brain called their hippocampus. And this part of our brain is associated with memory. Mm -hmm. What they found, they had like an average size hippocampus. But then they let the people go through the process of training to become a London cab Mm -hmm. driver. And London has like gnarly roads, right? Yeah. Well, number one, this process is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Like thousands of hours in the classroom studying, lots of time on the streets driving around, memorizing the different roads, how to get from point A to point B, the restaurants on each street. Like it was an intensive process. They came back scanned their brains again. And what they found is that region of their brain, their hippocampus, grew by like 25%. So their brain's changing there, right? A physical, visible change in their brain. Now, let's talk about what this study is telling us. Uh It is not saying, hey, to be a London cab driver, Alex, you need a big hippocampus. Because they started with the average (laughs) one, right? Right. It's saying the act of being a London cab driver fired certain pathways which changed their brain. Practice changed the brain. Neuroplasticity. They were firing certain pathways through their actions, through the work they're doing, changed their brain. They see similar results with violin players too. It's the regions of their brain are changing from practice. They can see they they see physical changes in their brain because of the actions they take. Right, and it doesn't have to be these big things like with the cab drivers. That was an intensive process, right? Right. But they've also done studies with like juggling, Mm -hmm. where they just have a group of people come in and they teach them the three ball cascade. You know what everyone thinks of with juggling. So they scan their brains and then they learn to juggle. And then a couple weeks later, they measured their brains again and they saw the same thing happen. Right, in a short amount of time. Right, a short. It didn't take this long intensive study their brains grew in this short amount of time physical visible changes in their brain the way we think about this and the way i would recommend teaching this to someone else is our brain is a lot like a muscle jack sound the sirens cliche alert like everyone says it brains like a muscle gotta work it out it's like (laughs) but it's true cool but I think the underlying neuroscience actually supports that statement, but I think there's like four layers to it. Mm -hmm. It's not just as simple as like brains like a muscle, work it out. So let's go through those four. Okay. One, brains like a muscle, we need some struggle to grow. Easy to wrap our heads around it in the weight room. Right. It's like, hey, uh, you add weight to induce struggle so we make the muscles stronger. We literally need that resistance and struggle to grow our muscles. If I'm banging out, you know, five-pound reps or something, I'm probably not going to see much growth. Right. 
So the struggle helps us grow. Shout out the Bjorks in episode two, Desirable Difficulties. That's a whole 25 minutes about this. But the idea is some resistance and struggle is necessary to really grow the skills. We can't just do these empty reps. Right. Brain is like a muscle layer too. If I wanted to make like a physical change in my body, think about how we would do that. I might like join a gym, upgrade my diet, hire a trainer, and I'm definitely going to work out like a few times a week for an extended period of time. Right. Because we, again, know the basics of how to change our body. We have to use those same tactics when we learn. Think about how we learn. Usually we try something like twice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. We're like, yep. Can't do that. <laughs> That's like the equivalent of doing like one set of push-ups. And like, I don't have and it's the like, incredible upper body now. What? <laughs> I didn't grow. Guess I can't. I'm done. It's right. like, we would never do that when it comes to working out. This is more of a long-term pursuit. Right. We know it takes time and reps and struggle and patience to change our body. Well, it takes time and reps, struggle and patience to fire that pathway, to walk that trail right. enough times to actually build the skill and change the brain. We have to stay patient. We also don't go from bench pressing the bar, 45 pounds, uh -huh. to 225 yeah. in a week. Right. It's a slow progression. A hundred percent. We go from 45 to 50 to 55 to 55 to 55 to 55 <laughs> to 60. Like there's plateaus. We go slow. But again... We do it in the weight room because we know the basics of how a muscle is built. Right. You have your ubulus muscle that connects to the upper dorsimus. It's boring, but it's part of my life. If we know the basics of how our brain builds a skill, we can start to do the same when it comes to learning. Brain is like a muscle layer three. I can't go to the weight room and watch you do squats and I get stronger. What? That, <laughs> it doesn't work that way? It'd be pretty good. <laughs> But that's not how it works, obviously. Right. So I could watch you do squats and I could learn from like your form right. and technique. But you still have to do it yourself. 100%. I yeah. could learn how to do a squat from watching. Right. But to see the results, I need to do the so squats. So same thing with our brain. 100%. We can watch, listen, and read. Mm -hmm. That can give us a blueprint. We can learn from people's tactics and approach and technique. But for actual skills, we have to be out there doing right. it. When it gets down to it. In order to build the skill, we need to fire the pathway. Walk the trail. Right. The best way to fire the pathway is to do the thing. Now, this seems simple, and I think deep down we know it, but we forget. It's like, hey, if you want to get better at writing, what should you do? Write more. A lot. Yes, fire those <laughs> pathways more. Right. If you wanted to get better at public speaking, we need more reps and at-bats doing that. You know what I was thinking about the other day? If I played pool all the time for like three months, I think I could be a pool shark. Dude, same with bowling. If I bowled every night for a month, I would be on that non-stop strike status. Yeah, pro bowlers are the people that practice bowling all the time. I guess what we're saying is if you do something long enough, you're going to be good at it. It's like all these pathways in our brain are specific to the skill. Mm -hmm. So to get good at that skill, you've got to fire that pathway. And it needs to involve some struggle. Don't forget the desirable difficulties. There's another layer, but one little thing I want to touch on. So brain's like a muscle we need to take the action, not just watch. Right. We as leaders have to be aware of robbing reps. What do you mean by robbing reps? Uh, let's say we're in the weight room and I'm doing a set of squats. Okay. And I'm trying to do 12 and you're spotting. Me. Mm -hmm. I do the first three pretty chill, pretty easy. And then that fourth one, it starts to get a little more difficult. And as soon as I see you doing that, I start to help you out. No, even worse. You go, Trev, I got you, bro. Let me do the next eight for you. <laughs> 
Would we ever do that in the weight room? No. How come? Because you're not going to grow that way. You're you're right. It's like those last eight are the ones that help me the most. Right. You would never jump in and do them for me. Right. We do it all the time when it comes to learning. We see someone facing a challenge and struggling. We come in, solve the problem for them. We remove the struggle. This is the snowplow parenting they talk about. Removing all obstacles and struggle. We're not saying don't support people in their struggles. Absolutely not the message, but it's don't rob them of the rep. So like go back to the weight room. Spot me if you need to. Mm -hmm. Like coach me, cheer me on, help me out. You might have to help me a bit on the last few, but you would never do them for me. Brain is like a muscle, layer four. Jack, drumroll, please. Alex. Yeah. Would you agree, and this one's for the listeners too, we're all probably not going to become bodybuilders. I I can attest to that myself. (laughs) Probably not. But would you agree, you and everyone listening, we could all make any muscle stronger if we worked it out. 100%. And probably much stronger than we know. Right. Like we don't know what the the capacity is, but probably stronger than we think if we did the work. Right. Same rules apply to learning. Like we're all not going to master every skill or be experts at everything. Right. But if we do the work, stay patient, fire the pathways, over time we can all get better at stuff. Right. I'm probably not going to become a chess grandmaster in my life. Probably not. But I could get better at chess. Much better than you know and replace chess with any skill. And I'll go to bat on that statement. Some people are slower learners, right? They're, 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 they struggle. But guess what? The machinery that controls learning is plastic. You can improve it. We take people and we train them in a certain way that exercises the machinery that controls changing the brain, and they learn faster. Of course they do. Right. And, and what they have to understand is, is that there can be a pretty long progression. Right. You know, I mean, it's, no, it's not, it's not, it takes effort. It takes, it takes a focus of attention. Conditions have to be right to change the brain, right? It's not free. I think one really important thing to remember when we're talking about skills is that anything that anyone can get better at is a skill. Right. So it's not just, you know, things that we traditionally think of as skills. Sure, like like riding a bike. Right. That's a skill. Right. You you don't just know how to do it. You practice, you learn. Right. Obvious skill. Learning algebra. Obvious skill. And then there's the not so obvious skills like leadership and communication and those sorts of things. Sometimes we don't think about those as skills even though they are right like so many people that i work with are like oh i'm not good at stuff it's like hey if you're good at interacting with your friends that's a skill right you built that right we need to give ourselves credit and understand so many things in life are skills if someone can get better at it it is a skill which means we can get better at it too we might not reach their level like a lot goes into that but we can get better We can learn enough to be dangerous. Like, that's what the science is telling us. Absolutely. Everyone has the capacity to be better at at virtually everything. With that understanding, miracles can occur in your capacity to understand or do complicated things that you never thought you'd be able to do. You are designed to be continuously improvable. Nobody's done. Nobody's defined what their limits are. 
I can tell you whatever you think your limits are, you're wrong. Right. You can be better next week, a little bit, but in a year you can be a lot better. Yeah. And almost anything that matters to you. And that's the way you should think about it. I mean, if I want to be better at these things that matter to me, let's get to work. What I love about what he just said is like, look, that's not an Instagram influencer saying, hey, everyone, we can grow. That's a neuroscientist that's been in the game since the 70s. And for someone from that field to be that definitive, I think it says a lot. We can all get better at stuff. We're doing a workshop with a group of fifth graders where we t taught them about this mm -hmm. neuroplasticity and growth mindset stuff. At the end of the talk, I was walking through the hallway and this fifth grade boy said to a fifth grade girl, he goes, growth mindset's not real. And she's kind of like, what? <laughs> and he's like, because you're a girl, which means you can't get good at math. <sighs> the worst. Such a story. And it's a common story. Right. And if she believed that story, that could absolutely get in the way of her development. 100%. Her response was amazing. What'd she say? She goes, yeah, math's not my strongest subject. Guess I better fire those pathways <sighs> some more. Boom. To bring this full circle, the, the, the really difficult part here is that those limiting beliefs that we mentioned earlier, not a math person, not a leader, could never do this, could never do that. All of us are going to hear these things. Right. Everyone listening, we're going to continue to hear them. But the cool part is once we're exposed to this research, we can start to deflect the stories. Just like that fifth grader from Ohio. Some real talk before we let people go. We are not saying anyone can do anything because that's not entirely right. true. Like you said, it's like you're probably not going to become a grandmaster in chess. Right. And I'm not going to go play in the NBA because I know about neuroplasticity. <laughs> like that's not what we're saying. Right. But we are 100% going to bat on the fact that we can all get better at stuff. Right. And the more stuff we get better at, usually the more things we can do. Now, we're all different genes do play a role in this. They can kind of nudge us in different directions. Our environment certainly plays a role in this. Our personality types are at play here. We can put all that on the table and still with 100% certainty say we can all get better at stuff. We might go at different speeds and get better at different things. We all have the capacity to grow. And the cool part about that is as we learn those individual skills, that's actually also helping us learn the broader skill of being a great learner mm -hmm. in and of itself. Those are the reps to help us become a learner. Right. When we take action on those individual skills, it mm -hmm. translates into taking action on becoming a better learner. Absolutely. And the magic is, is that once you get into a learning mode, once you're really trying to improve yourself as on a regular basis and acquiring new skills and improving whatever is important to you, you actually improve the machinery that controls learning for everything you're trying to do. So it's a really good idea, idea to get into a learning mode. So broad recap of what we've talked about. Action is an essential part of developing a skill. Period. End of sentence. Right. <laughs> and one way, and our action oftentimes depends on whether or not we have a growth mindset. Yeah. It's, if we believe we can grow, we're more likely to take action. If we don't, we probably won't. Right. And neuroplasticity is sort of the underlying research that enables that to happen, allows it to happen. Absolutely. I believe I can grow because I know my brain can grow.
It's time for the questions, Jack. Hi, this is Leah from St. Louis. I'm a huge fan of the Train Ugly content and all of the work. I love the style of the videos, how you talk about growth mindset in really everyday terms, and how you apply it to so many different areas. A question for you, for big companies who are concerned with becoming increasingly agile, agility is a hot topic to beat competition to remain competitive as small companies are popping up left and right. How can we connect a growth mindset to the key priority of being agile as an organization? I'd appreciate any ideas. Thanks. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much for the question. Like, There's a lot to unpack there, but what I would do is kind of work backwards. First, of course, being agile is important for all of us, especially in the corporate world. Number one recommendation is treat that as a skill because it is. It's something that we can get better at as individuals and the group. So once we treat it as a skill, then that's where growth mindset comes in because that's the belief we can build skills. So it is a skill. We can build it. Now it's about coming up with creative ways to practice it and to create space for people to get those reps in practicing that skill. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but those would be like the steps I would look at. And I think one other way that we can start building this skill is by exposing ourselves to new ideas. Mm -hmm. So there's this term called analogous learning, which just means looking at different fields and then how you can apply the same methods from those fields to your own field. Absolutely. We do that a lot with the pod. It's like we can learn so much from the sports world, education world, business world. And looking outside of our realm is usually pretty effective. So if we look at maybe sports teams that are constantly reinventing themselves let's shoot an email to the coach and get some input there and so i would highly recommend that what's up guys uh love the show my name is brian ferrati um and i'm a coach at the university of portland um i just wanted to reach out to better understand um what got what is your guys's process um for helping student athletes set process oriented goals versus um outcome based goals and how you mesh both those together Thanks, guys. Really, really good question, Brian. Um, This is a messy topic. And for years, I thought the answer was pretty cut and dry. Like, we should only focus on process, never worry about the outcome. And that's kind of a common way of talking about this. Right, lots of people say that. Absolutely. But if you really dig in, I don't think that's feasible. I don't think that's real life. I think it's more of a blend, Mm -hmm. kind of a mesh, like you said at the end of the question. It's hard to separate the two. Absolutely. I don't think we should feel bad for caring about the outcome. That should matter. Whether we're in sports, business, or life, Like the outcomes matter, and that's okay. Now, that shouldn't just drive all of our actions. Of course, we need these process goals. Those are more long-term and a sustainable fuel source. But I think it's about finding this middle ground of having both and not feeling bad about caring about the outcome. And I think if we're going to be real with ourselves, we're going to be thinking of that outcome. It's something, even if we decide that we don't want to pay attention to it, we're still going to be thinking of it. So understanding that, we should recognize that's an important piece of the puzzle. We're going to be shooting for something, but to also focus on the process and realize the process is how we achieve those outcomes. Absolutely. And I think that just the the big challenge is, yes, care about the outcomes, but don't let that get in the way of doing the things we need to do to grow the best we can. And both can happen at the same time. It's about finding that middle ground. I think the the outcome goals gives us something to point at and then the process and system goals gives us the like the the vehicle to get there. Mm-hmm. So like okay, uh 
We want to write a book. We should have that goal. It's not just like, I'm going to write every day. There needs to be a target, something to organize it. Right. And then the system, the process goal is every day for an hour, I sit down and write. So it's a combo of the two. I need a target though. Right. Well, and your process goal is usually smaller, right? Like, like you Absolutely. said, it's one page a day. Yes. And or then whatever you, it may be. Yeah, whatever it may be. And when you do that over and over again throughout time, you right. know, a couple of years down the road, you'll have achieved that larger goal of writing a book. But I still believe you do need the target. Though. Yeah. Yes. yes. To organize the action. Right. And I think the upside of having this blend is like, look, sometimes the outcome doesn't work. Right. Like we don't win the championship, mm-hmm. but these process focused goals along the way helped us grow as much as we could. Right. So I think there's a big upside in having a blend of the two. Thanks again for rocking with us for another week. We will be back next Tuesday with another episode. Keep learning.